WDBM East Lansing. The impact. You're listening to Impact Exposure. Exposure gives a voice to our community and provides a forum for discussing the relevant issues of today. Broadcasting from the campus of Michigan State University, this is Impact Exposure. Welcome, I'm your host Quinn Hoffman and you are listening to Exposure on the Impact 89 FM. Tonight on the show we sit down with Tim Potter to talk about biking in the winter and Pat Whitty with some other winter activities. But first we're joined with Eric Gavin, one of the organizers behind the Michigan Student Power Network. You're listening to Exposure on the Impact 89 FM. Gavin, an organizer of the Michigan Student Power Network, right? Right. Um, so can you tell us a little bit about, just a rough start, what is the Michigan Student Power Network? Uh, basically, the Michigan Student Power Network is uh, an organization that's built to reach out to different uh, student organizations at different campuses. So here at MSU, UM, uh, Grand Valley State, CMU, uh, Western, like just to name a few and bring these uh, communities together under issue-based focus or uh, just general unity and community building, uh, either activities, uh, events, or just pure networking and communication. All right, and you say issue-based focus. Yes. Um, That's kind of referring to uh, different forms of uh, activism, right? Exactly. So um, what are some of the issues that the Michigan Student Power Network covers? Um, range from environmental to things that are kind of like really in the forefront of media right now, like police brutality and things that have to do with minority culture within, uh, um, the student population and also spanning to labor laws that might go outside when you graduate from, uh, different universities to, uh, any issue that you have a problem with, you know, if it's something that you find very important and something that you really want to into to the forefront of other people's minds, I'm almost definitely sure that you're not the only one that feels that way in the entire state of Michigan. So we really want to make sure that those people connect together and really bring those issues to the forefront when they know it's important to them and it's important to a lot of different other people. So what's the uh, benefit to kind of uh, come together like that in, uh, in that group? Uh, you know, is there is there is it kind of a strength in numbers kind of mentality? Uh, it <clears throat> It is a strength in numbers mentality, but it's also... Uh, speaks to it's it's hard to get um, some people who don't identify themselves as activists or organizers to really uh, feel comfortable to be in a space to speak about the things that they care about. You may truly care about something or really want something to change, but you might not be comfortable in that respect. I think if we can start spanning out and showing that more people feel exactly the same way you do in different places in the state that aren't as far away as like California or all the way in Harvard or all the way somewhere down south where these things are maybe a little less more subtle, um, 
that you can start to understand that you can speak out about these things and bring people closer together in that respect because we're only what hours away from each other. Okay, so one of the one of the goals here with the Student Power Network sounds like it's to kind of allow people who are uh, maybe not comfortable, you know, uh, participating in uh, actions and things like that, uh, to give them a space where they can still voice their opinion and how how they feel towards things without necessarily making that leap to action. Yes, definitely. Um, it well, that's one of the things that we really want to do because we want to make sure that we're reaching out to people who don't necessarily know what to do. You know, like maybe you have been an organizer since you've been in high school and maybe you need to uh, learn more ways to get people to, you know, recognize what you're doing or more ways to get your message out. We speak to that. You know, maybe you don't know anything. and You want to know who you need to get in contact to to learn more about these things. We speak to that. Maybe you have a campaign idea or something that you really want to put forward that you know is going to get a lot of traction and it's going to pull a lot of people in. We speak to that. So it's just a lot of different range uh, and stages that people are in. College is a time for development. And uh, one of the ways that you may end up developing is your stronger voice for social activism and social justice. And we want to speak to those different levels of what what place people are in. So have you ever been to any uh, protest actions? Uh, Yes, I've been up uh, to one here at MSU before. Um, I forgot exactly... It was definitely about police brutality. Uh, it was a march to the Capitol. It was, well, I think it was one of many that has mm-hmm. happened mm-hmm. here. Um, I've been to one in Ann Arbor um, from the death of Aura uh, in around um, the city of Ann Arbor. So I participated in that, and I'm also going to meetings within that. And um, I've been to a couple rallies right before I spoke. I've spoken at a rally before, been in quite a few die-ins, and... Uh, participated in things of that nature, mm-hmm. and it seems to me I've I've, I've participated in a few of these yes. um, protests, mm-hmm. uh, the police brutality ones on right. campus that were re- recent. Um, it seems to me a lot of the issue kind of of getting enough people for this is about the organization of the people, getting them all to come together. Right. Is the student power network kind of um, at all used in a way to kind of give more power to? Uh, organizing and recruiting people from all around the state, not just in the local area? Yes. Um, we definitely, like, the, the purpose of the Michigan Student Power Network is not to set up a Michigan Student Power Network at your school. Like, that's not what it's there for. It's not to, we're going to create a new organization at your school. It's more so we want to build power within the organizations that you already have set up and have built upon because that's something you really cared about to get a part of in the first place. So you want to make sure that you build on that. And speaking specifically to those type of things, um, we want to help people create a new narrative that speaks to everybody as a whole. Sometimes people can feel isolated um, when you're not when your message is not open to um, different di- different identities that people have. You know, I'm I'm black, but I'm also a man, and also have this thing. I have different identities to who I am. When black women speak, they're not just black in that sense; they're black women, and depending on what sexuality, they have different ideas and different identities that they want to put forward. And it's more than just this one single thing that they're putting forward that people see as soon as they see this person. It's a lot of different things that are molding and coming together at one moment and speaking to those different identities and different things that people are in that moment speaks more to who uh, we how speaks more to different ways that we can connect, you know, as being different from each other. Mm-hmm. 
Is the Student Power Network at all used for something other than activism? Obviously, that seems to be the most obvious yes. um, uh, you know, use, but is there another use to this power network? Um, it's only been active since um, last spring, so almost getting close to being a year. It was uh, really activated by my, my uh, co-organizer, Ian Matchett, and um, I got in a lot uh, during uh, mid-early summer. So at, as of this moment, it's only been building up towards uh, being an activist tool and being something that activists can use, um, activists and organizers can use from across the state, but hoping, hoping that it continues to grow, that we can use it more towards something like that. So maybe in the future possibly funding people to do things that they really want to get out and do and being a little bit more versatile in how we approach problems and issues that students have. But at the current moment, in its current state, it is just um, for organizing and activism type of projects. Why do you think uh, the Student Power Network is um, a really important thing for this to be? Why, why students, you know? Um, because <clears throat> I think um, students are kind of the gateway between community and uh, institutional uh, level type of things. The, we're the gap between coming from many different communities and many different places, having many different experiences, families. You know, some people have, have had better upbringing than others. And coming into a place, and then from this growth process throughout college, spanning out into going into business, art, creativity, um, engineering, anything that you, any field that you can think of. And having college be that gap point where students are growing and learning about things, but also using their past experiences to affect what they're going to do in the future. The student is kind of the gap between these two worlds. And I think that if we concentrate on using the student to not only try to affect the field and things that they're going to go into, but also co constantly think about ways that they can affect where they came from would really do a lot in the way of uh, helping change things in that nature. And we definitely don't want to stop with just the student, but I think a student is a good way to start because they are that bridge between that. When you go, <clears throat> when freshmen and sophomores go home um, from from being in college and they talk to their families like, how was college? How was it? And just um, explaining to them that they're growing and they're learning in different type of ways. They're bringing back knowledge to where they were, where they, uh, from this prestigious university that they come from. But they're also affecting the people that they're talking to, inspiring them, giving them more, and letting them know that they're trying to progress just as much as they would hope to do. So I think that the student could be that gap to go back and do those things. And hopefully after when you do make it, you do make good money and you are good at what you do, that you find a way to uh, affect your community in a positive manner or give back in a positive manner. Do you mind telling us a little bit about the meetings that uh, the Student Power Network has? Um, is, how, how many meetings have they had so far? Do you uh, so far we've had uh, two physical meetings. Um, a, a third one was a, lo a lot more social than physical, but we still talked about a lot of um, uh, projects and things that we wanted to do taking forward. But two official meetings, one at the beginning of last semester and one at the beginning of this semester just happened this uh, past weekend. And um, that's uh, 
physical meetings, that was it. Um, but from we had about maybe three or four statewide phone calls that dealt with different ways we want to push forward, um, how we're making decisions, how we're structuring this entire thing, what do we do about uh, growth as more people come into um, join this student power network in, in its infancy. So just talking more and more about how we want to formulate this whole thing. Mm. I think I was um, I think I was there for the third the social yeah. meeting, um, and that one was really interesting to me. Can you can you tell us a little bit about that one? Yeah, it was a uh, it was something my uh, co organizer Ian he kind of thought of one dot uh, actually after one of the phone calls that we had, uh, it was a it was a pretty lengthy phone call. It's about an hour and forty five minutes, two hours, and we have been going over all this important like deep very heavy stuff and he kind of was just like why don't we just have a party in a sense and uh, you know everybody was like yeah but then over time you realize that it was actually going to happen and it was actually going to be a group of people coming together and doing this thing and yeah we had a we had a, a really good social night and had a nice party but it was really strong bonding moment for people to come together under pretenses not just to talk about something really important to them, but just to connect with each other because they all knew that they cared about something important, you know? Like, just bonding in that type of space was a different type of vibe that happened. Yeah, yeah. I noticed that um, when when this party started off, it was very much a party, you know? It was just people kind of talking, hanging out, doing typical party things, but then maybe, like, halfway through the night, everyone broke off into different rooms, and they got together, and each room was focused on a different issue, and they all, you know, just started talking about these issues. And yeah. I was like, this is clearly not a normal party. Yeah, exactly. You know, it kind of gave a different vibe to the conversations that happened because people were allowed to, you know, loosen up. Because usually you go into a meeting, you're like, okay, today we're here to talk about the fate of blah, blah, blah. Like, it's just so dead serious. And it's hard for you to, you know, open up how you want to be innovative and how you really feel comfortable about putting your ideas out. Half the time, a lot of people have wonderful ideas, but they're afraid that if they put that out there, that somebody's going to shoot it down and not really take them seriously about how they feel. But you you open a social area up, people feel comfortable, people just start talking, ideas start flowing, people's like, yeah, that sounds good, and start getting consensus <clears throat> and really want to move forward on these ideas because everybody's in a like agreement. Everybody just has this, are on the same wavelength. Mm-hmm. Nobody's against each other. The Michigan Student Power Network is not even a year old yet. Right. Could you give us some sort of a little bit of insight into where this organization might be going? Where do you see this Michigan Student Power Network in, let's say, another year or two? I say that within another year, um, I, I would hope that we are in solid contact we and both everybody within the organization uh, who who decides to participate it is heavily within contact with each other throughout the many different college campuses. I would say that right now we're solidly linked to maybe around like six, seven. And I would say that it would be preferable to me that we span out and start getting to like 10, 14 and then start really um, spanning out and really getting at what people really want to do, you know, like real issues that people want to do and start putting things down in a lot more of a unified manner. 
And I also would like hopefully this organization to grow into like its own not for profit at some point so that it can actually start doing things on a uh, on a on a higher level basis and start being taken a little bit more seriously in the sense that, you know, we come from grassroots, but, you know, we're affecting change in a, in a huge manner by staying true to what we feel like will actually affect change. If somebody's interested and they want to learn more or even get involved, what can they do? Uh, we have Facebook. <laughs> so uh, if that's the that's the probably easiest way that you can do it. Uh, we also, I also, me and um, Ian use our own personal emails, but we also have a Michigan Student Power uh, email. Uh, it's mspn414 uh, at gmail.com. And, uh, I mean, I can also give mine, and it's uh, eric, E-R-I-C-K, D-G-0-7 at gmail.com. Uh, email me anytime. I'm definitely out to reach into people because I'm going to be uh, going around to different campuses throughout this month and next month just trying to connect with people and talk with people about what more they want to do and what they actually see for this semester and uh, beyond that because um, I know a really huge issue that uh, people tend to have is graduation. You know, People graduate, knowledge just disperses and it, it goes out of where freshmen and underclassmen have to start all over again about trying to build up what they really feel is, is important. And it's my hope that this organization keeps those information flowing back right into the same community that it came from. So if you're doing something really important here on campus, we hope that anything that you do, <clears throat> anything that you do, we can have that information flow right back into the hands of underclassmen and keep this knowledge flowing in a in a circular cyclical pattern so that it never goes up and people have to start all over again trying to rebuild the wheel. So that's my hope for that. Thanks so much for joining us, Eric. No problem. Thank you for having me. You're listening to Impact Exposure. For more variety than you'll hear on any other station, listen to the Impact Primetime, Primetime. where you can find a different specialty show every night of the week. Tuesday nights from 8 until midnight, The Impact's progressive torch and twang brings you the best in alternative country and grassroots music. Only on Impact Primetime. You wouldn't send a text while using a chainsaw. Check out these pics of this huge tree falling. You probably wouldn't text while scuba diving. And you definitely wouldn't send a text while making out. You are so smoking hot. I love your elbows. Wait, hold on a second. Huh? I need to send this. OMG, I'm like totally kissing him right now. Dude, what the f***? So why would you send a text while driving? Well, that's different. That's what about 6,000 people who died last year said. Oh. And now, it's illegal in Michigan to read, type, or send any text from your phone while driving. It's a $100 fine for the first offense and 200 bucks after that. Ouch. Check out Michigan House Bill 4394. Be a part of the solution and save a life. And seriously, put the phone away while you're making out. Aw, come back, cuddle bunny. You need help. 88.9 The Impact. Now back to Impact Exposure. 
Up next, Pat Whitty came in to let us know what's happening this winter in the Ingham County Parks. You are listening to Exposure on the Impact 89 FM. Right now I'm joined with Pat Whitty with uh, Ingham County Parks. Welcome, Pat. Thanks, Quinn. Uh, so right now you're here to talk to us a little bit about the uh, winter activities that Ingham County Parks are um, putting on. Uh, so so what do we got this winter? Well, this winter is pretty interesting. Uh, we actually have uh, Ingham County Parks has uh, two locations where we offer winter activities. First location is uh, Hawk Island County Park. That's located right off, right, right in Lansing off of Cavanaugh Road. And Hawk Island is rather unique. Um, a lot of people, especially this winter, it uh, looked like it was green grass in the middle of December, but we were operational since we make our own snow and have our, our own winter activities at Hawk Island. How, how do you make your own snow? Uh, there's a total of uh, three uh, snowmakers at Hawk Island. We pump the water right out of the lake at, at Hawk Island. And obviously we have to have the appropriate uh, temperatures, but once they're basically below 27 degrees, we can make our own snow. And it's uh, it's it's nor- it's actual snow. Yeah, it's the uh, same thing that you. It's a it's a touch of up north in Michigan where they would make their own snow for the ski resorts. The same kind of equipment, same kind of grooming equipment. Um, so basically, when the temperatures dip below twenty seven degrees, we can make our own snow here in the Lansing area. So, what kind of activities are hosted on this uh, made snow park? Hawk Hawk Island is that it? Hawk Island, yes, Hawk Island. Um, it is a hundred percent snow tubing. So we we supply the the tubes for the people to come out. It's a family atmosphere. We have a lifts lifts there, so you can actually have a tube in hand, um, and the lift will actually take you from the base of the hill up to the top. And uh, we have two active uh, sides of the hill, so we have two lifts, and so you can have your choice of um, over four different runs to go down go down the hill at Hawk Island. Um. So you said it's a it's a family atmosphere. You mostly get families that come through here. Absolutely, uh, we do uh, we do entertain us uh, uh, special groups. Uh, maybe there's a church, a church outing and they're looking for um, a, a winter activity, or maybe a sorority or fraternity type of thing, uh, where they want to kind of get out of the get out from inside and actually go out and enjoy the winter elements. Um, but mainly on the weekends, yes, it is a lot of families, um, two to four to twelve, whatever, come out and they can enjoy basically the entertainment of winter activities at Hawk Island for basically cheaper than going to the movies. Yeah, how much does it cost? Um, let's see. First of all, the um, Hawk Island is, is operational Friday, Saturday, and Sunday and holidays. On Friday, we're open at 4 in the afternoon until 8 p.m. On the weekends, Saturday and Sunday and holidays, we'd be, we would be open at 10 a.m. until 8 p.m. On the weekends, the adults for two hours of tubing is uh, $12. For the kids under under 12 years old, would be $8. And then we also have a family pack, which is... Uh, Thirty-five dollars, and that's for two adults and two children. Uh, two children. Okay. Um, there's another. There's another park here that you want to talk about, right? Oh, absolutely. We have Birchfield Park. It's located on Grovenberg Road, um, which is a little bit south of Holt. And um, Birchfield is more of your traditional. We offer um, uh, cross-country skiing, and we also have uh, tubing down at uh, Birchfield Park. So we do have like a sledding hill there too. Um, unlike Hawk Island, Birchfield is uh, dependent on Mother Nature. Uh, when there's snow on the ground, Birchfield is up and operational. But when there's not, there's no. When there's not, uh, we do have trails that people can go out and walk their dog and uh, in, enjoy the you know the, the wintertime trails as far as uh, Lower Michigan. Is this one uh, similar prices? Um, let's see. Over at Birchfield Park, as far as the skiing, uh, skiing is actually <clears throat> is actually available um, every day of the week. 
uh, during the week, Monday through Friday, um, for an adult to come out and get their skis, boots, and poles, it'd be uh, $4 for an hour. On the weekends, it doubles. It's up to $8 an hour for an adult and $4 for a child. One thing nice about uh, Birchfield Park is that we do offer, on Friday nights, uh, moonlight skiing. So we do have a little little uh, lanterns out on the trail so they can people can actually uh, ski underneath the moonlight, and that starts at 6 p.m. until 9 p.m. on Friday nights when the snow is is acceptable, I guess, for, for skiing. Awesome. Um, is there anything else you'd like to say uh, before for our listeners before we uh, end it here? Uh, yes. Uh, basically, any questions, you can always go to our website, www.ingham.countyparks.org. At that uh, location, you can find the updated uh, snow conditions at Birchfield Park, since it is, uh, we're kind of waiting for Mother Nature to take hold. Otherwise, uh, we are fully operational at Hawk Island, so it doesn't matter if you don't see snow in the front yard. We are 100% operational at, at Hawk Island. Awesome. Thanks so much for coming in, Pat. Not a problem. Thank you. You're listening to Impact Exposure. Hey, what floor are you going to? <clears throat> oh, uh, three. Thanks. <coughs> hey, didn't we, uh, have... Yeah, that one class. Yeah, that's so funny to, <laughs> to see you, because I <coughs> thought maybe we could, uh... Would you ever want to, um... <coughs> I was wondering if you... If I could stick my finger in your eye. What? No. Oh, <clears throat> I just flushed some toilets and touched a doorknob. What? I've been keeping this moist Kleenex Ew, in my pocket. That's uh, so gross. I thought we could, you know, just stick my finger Ugh. in your eye. Is that weird? No! Don't touch me! What's wrong with you? Oh, sorry. Well, ever since you got in the elevator, you've been coughing all over your hands and pressing those buttons, so I just thought you were into that kind of thing. Free. Studies show that three-quarters of women and only half of men actually wash their hands in the bathroom. That's nasty. Stop the flu and other germs by regularly washing with soap and avoid touching your eyes, nose, and mouth. More at cdc.gov slash clean hands. Impact 89 FM. For more variety than you'll hear on any other station, listen to the Impact Primetime, where you can find a different specialty show every night of the week. From 10 p.m. until midnight Sunday nights, listen to the Impact Afterglow, where you can hear a variety of relaxed tracks to help you ease into the start of a new week. Only on Impact Primetime. Now back to Impact Exposure. Now that we're in the midst of an authentic Michigan winter, MSU students are faced with the same problem they're faced with every spring semester. Getting to class through the frigid tundra. Some students will still walk, others will start to take the bus. But what about the cyclists? Many of MSU students bike to class all through fall semester. But when the winter comes, do they stay on their bikes? So uh, why are you uh, riding your bike through the winter? Well, this semester, it's my last semester here at MSU, and I have to work at my T-job every morning from 8 to 12, at least four hours a day. And I have to get up at 6.30 to run. And since I live a couple miles away, I figure, you know, I want that extra sleep, so I'd rather take my chances out on my bike. Uh, it's quicker. Uh, I mean, it works. Like, the sidewalks don't have any issues as far as being too slippery. Um, I just got a new one, so the tires are brand new. Um, it works pretty well for 
yeah, I can go across ice actually, I think, easier than on foot. Um, so. Because uh, it's faster than walking. Uh, do you think it's at all dangerous to be riding your bike in the snow and ice? Yes, definitely, especially when you live on an incline. I live in a co-op, the co-op House of Apollo, and unfortunately we have like a huge hill. We're right next to the Harrison Roadhouse too, so we get a lot of slush. So it's definitely uh, somewhat dangerous, but I feel like if you use your head and common sense and always keep your hands over the brakes, it's definitely doable. You just have to be watchful and mindful of pedestrians and cars. I am, I'm very worried. I've slipped a couple times, but I haven't fallen yet. I only fell once last winter. Not at all. Absolutely not. Most of the sidewalks are either really well cleared, some of them are even heated. Uh, so I haven't run into any issues yet. Uh, no, I've been doing it for years. I'm pretty good about it. Some students think biking in the winter is madness, and others aren't really phased by the weather at all. Okay, are you, are you worried at all about the safety of your bike? Uh, a little, yeah. The, the cold is tougher conditions on it. i got to check up on the tires every now and then. No. Uh, I... Again, I haven't had any issues. I haven't seen any issues. Um, do, you, do you mean as far as getting stolen or just, just breaking? Just, or? just breaking the snow. No, I mean, like I said, it's new. Uh, so it's a good bike. I'm, I'm really happy with it. Um, as far as snow, most of the parking lots can be elevated or you can clear snow out of the way. Um, otherwise, I can put like a seat cover on my bike and not have any issues. Some cyclists were so cold they couldn't even stop to answer my questions. Excuse me. Excuse me. Yeah? Do you mind if I ask you why you're biking in the winter? Uh, why am I biking? Yeah. I have to get back to my Alright. Never mind. But is it really safe? Uh, has anyone called you crazy or anything for riding a bike in the winter? Yeah, my friends do and, and uh, uh, people I know, but it's, you know, it's it's better than walking. We got to get around a lot. Has anyone given you any weird looks or told you you're a little crazy for riding in the winter? Nope. Actually, uh, I don't think I'm the only one by a long shot. To be honest with you, uh, I there's certainly less bikers now than there was, uh, you know, in the fall. But they're not infrequent. You're listening to Impact Exposure. Smoking Helpline. Yes, I need to start smoking right away. Excuse me? I need to start smoking. Well, actually, it's the Stop Smoking Helpline. The people in the apartment next to mine smoke three packs a day, and it drives me crazy. So I'm thinking four packs will do it. I think you want MySmokeFreeApartment.org. It gives you the information you need to work toward a smoke-free apartment building. A smoke-free building? Without all that smoking? Uh, yeah, that's right. Make your apartment smoke-free without making a stink. MySmokeFreeApartment.org. For more variety than you'll hear on any other station, listen to the Impact Primetime, Primetime, where you can find a different specialty show every night of the week. Wednesday nights from 8 until midnight, it's the Impact's Accidental Blues, your source for great blues music, news, and concert information. Only on Impact Primetime. Hola, my name is Esperanza. After a tragic incident, I was forced from a life of riches in Mexico to a life of poverty in the United States. My mother has become ill and we have become separated from our family. Now I must work for both of us to try to bring the rest of our family together. My name is Esperanza and I am trying to survive. Explore new worlds. Read my story in the novel Esperanza Rising by Pam Muñoz Ryan. For other great book ideas, visit your local library or log on to literacy.gov. Brought to you by the Library of Congress and the Ad Council. 
Now back to Impact Exposure. To explore this question further, we brought in a couple of bike experts to talk about biking in the winter. You are listening to Exposure on the Impact 89FM. Uh, today I'm joined with a couple of cyclist experts. Guys, why don't you introduce yourselves? Yeah, I'm Tim Potter and manage the MSU Bike Service Center. I'm actually overseeing the outside programming now and not so much the shop, so more the external operations. So, yep. I'm Bill McConnell. I'm a faculty member in the Department of Fisheries and Wildlife and been cycling on campus for about 10 years. Right. So early in the semester, or I suppose last semester, um, <clears throat> we did an episode where we talked a bit about bike safety, new bike laws, and this is kind of a continuation of that because now we have hit winter. And although a lot of people think that bikes aren't very active during winter, if you look around, you will see quite a few bikes on campus um, mm -hmm. biking around. So, uh, yeah, I guess, uh, you know, Tim, start us off. What What is it about biking in the winter? Well, I, I, I find it as a, a real thing. Wow, it's so cold. How do you keep riding when it's so cold? Well, to me, I stay warmer riding than I would walking or uh, sitting and waiting, you know, for a ride or for a bus. So I I, I kind of prefer to um, be moving towards my destination, and I just I like being able to get, uh, you know, a little more exercise every day. And, um, you know, so I, I actually, um, during the winter months, I drive my vehicle in uh, with my bike in the back, my winter bike, and uh, and then I just ride the last mile into my into the bike shop. So it's uh, it saves me... Uh, $500 a year to to park off campus and during the warm months just to ride all the way in from home. So it's part of my, it's kind of a, uh, I call it commuter light is how I set up my uh, my bike commuting. So, but Bill, you ride all the way from home, I think, pretty much every day. Yeah, whenever the roads are, are dry, I, I can make it in. Uh, I had an accident a few years back where a car knocked me down. So when the roads start to get slippery, I uh, I leave the bike at home, but I do have a bike. I keep. I can use that bike. You know, people say, "Why why do you bike during the winter?" Most of the time, their first reason is because it's so cold out. You know, um, but when I'm thinking about biking into class or walking in, I'm normally judging: is it safe? You know, are are the right. roads too bad? Um, do you think safety during the winter is is a big issue? It, it becomes more of an issue, I guess. In in your mind, um, you know, because it, it's it's a little slipperier. Obviously, visibility is worse. Um, but the, the university uh, maintenance crew does a really good job with keeping the the walks and the roads clear. So it's a lot of times the pathways are are actually in better shape than the roadways. You know, if there's especially when there's a big storm. Um, so you know, I normally ride in the roadways. You know, during the the warm months of the year, which is I find safer to be riding in the road but um you know during a storm or when the conditions on the roads are really kind of treacherous then i'll be riding on the on the side paths and si sidewalks at some times and so I, I i find it very i feel very safe you know riding through the, through the winter months but again i don't ride up and down if i rode in from home i'd be on grand river and to me that's uh 
I don't want to take the risk of riding up and down Grand River. So kind of like Bill, you know, I, I certainly do want to, you know, uh, live to see another day. And so I, I don't mix it up on Grand River. Bill, do, are you concerned about safety at all? I mean, you said earlier that if it looks too slippery, you won't take your bike. Yeah, well, uh, uh, the two uh, ladies uh, in my home uh, discourage me strongly from riding when it gets too slippery out. And um, part of that, uh, you know, I think sometimes people's first reaction is, can you even stay up on the bike? And obviously that's an issue, and you got to have the right equipment and the right tires, and, you know, sometimes you do fall down when you ride a bike. That's what riding a bike is about. But uh, if the cars are going to lose control, then you're really putting yourself in a really unsafe condition. So uh, on some of the bigger roads where the cars are moving at 45, 50 miles an hour, uh, putting yourself out there on a normal day, as long as you're visible and, and riding predictably, people go around, you know. There's occasionally somebody who's who's in too big a hurry and, and won't give you as much room or whatever, but um, in the wintertime, uh, cars trying to go around you uh, can often create a hazard, especially if they're not paying enough attention. So uh, while I do enjoy the bike and I, I want to be on it as much as I can, there's a limit to... Uh, how much you can disrupt what else is going on in the roadway. You mentioned for a bit there the um, proper equipment that you need. Um, suppose a novice biker is listening right now, um, and he or she is wanting to ride through the winter. What kind of equipment do you need? What kind of tires? What kind of bike would be best for riding in the winter? Well, I'll let Tim talk about the bike, but in terms of, of clothing, I tell people, imagine you're going to go cross-country skiing and it's a little bit windy. Expect a headwind. If you can comfortably cross-country ski, your hands are going to be warm, your body's going to be warm, you're going to cover your face and have the right footwear on, then you're going to be fine. And as, as Tim said, you're going to warm yourself up with the exercise. And a lot of people will put on too much clothing, get halfway through their ride, and suddenly they're overheating. So some of the uh, active outdoor wear will have vents so that you can cool yourself off as, as you overheat. Um, but in terms of, of the bike itself, uh, yeah, there's special equipment you want to use, especially if it's slippery or extra wet. Yeah, yeah, they make uh, studded tires for bicycles, and um, they can be kind of pricey. So there's also do-it-yourself instructions for making your own studded tires, and I've taught classes on that, and I've made quite a few pair of those. And There's a learning curve work. there. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's kind of fun if you're a do-it-yourselfer. Um, you can make some for, you know, five bucks out of used tires and some screws from the hardware store. Or, you know, the commercial ones are obviously more money than that. But it, it helps you stay upright, which, uh, you know, is a good thing. <laughs> kind of crucial. So, and some people say, well, can't I just put one on the front? You know, I mean, it, it's. I think it's good to have good grip on both the front and the rear tire. And so, you know, if you're going to have studded tires, that's, that's the best way to go. Fenders, it really helps to keep all the gunk off you and the bike and the you know, sometimes you can get stuff off the ground that'll get in your eyes and stuff. So I think fenders are kind of a must for winter riding. Um, I like an old older mountain bike because uh, there's a lot of room for fatter tires and fenders and all that stuff. So the old mountain bikes make a really good winter bike. Um, also, that I found over the you know six seven years now of winter cycling is that the salts get in and they can destroy a nice bike. So you want to think about which bike you're going to ride through the winter because that salt does get in every which way you can 
possibly imagine and, and it rusts through the, the frame and can shorten the life of a bike pretty quickly. So there's also a question of technique, right? You wouldn't take a novice cyclist who's never been on a bike before, put them on a slippery road in the middle of traffic first time. Right. You wouldn't do that with a driver either. Uh, somebody who's learning to, to drive a car in Michigan, oftentimes they'll find a spot where there's not traffic around and learn how the car has traction and what to do when it doesn't. And the same thing goes for a bike. There are times when you're going to have less traction than others. You want to know how to handle it without falling down in front of a bus. That's a good point. So another thing was you mentioned that mountain bikes were good for this. Um, I do see a good amount of thin tired bikes Mm -hmm. out there, um, like racing bikes and things like that. Uh, And and that to me seems like insanity. And I have never ridden one like that on snow and ice, so I wouldn't really know, but... Is it is it a lot more dangerous to be riding a thin tired bike than a thick tired bike? Well, the the, the people that do ride the thinner tired bikes will say that it, it helps cut down through the slush and gunk down to the road surface. But um, in certain conditions, that you know you get the deep slushy stuff. I can see where that makes sense. But sometimes underneath that slush is a layer of ice, and so I prefer to just kind of go with as much traction as I can, even though I'm not going as fast. You know, some people want to go for the speed but for me in the winter i I just want to get there kind of safely and so i I, i'm okay with going slower and i think that's key is just accept you're going to go slower and give yourself more time yeah that's a good point about the uh the condition of the snow sometimes uh, if the snow's hard packed one kind of tire is going to work and another one's not and uh if you're in heavy powder trying to push a big fat tired bike through the powder that's a lot harder so it it really depends a lot on on uh, exactly the conditions you're trying to get through. So, what's what's the popularity of riding bikes through campus at MSU? Is it uh, do do you see it a lot? I mean, do you have any numbers around this kind of stuff? Well, in general, we there's over twenty thousand cyclists on campus, um, and we go look at the numbers of bikes registered, and then we kind of look at how many on bike racks, how many of those bikes are are actually registered versus unregistered, and then we kind of extrapolate. And so that's we haven't actually physically gone and counted all the bikes right, on campus, right. but but that's kind of what the math shows is there's over 20,000 bikes. Now, this time of the year, a lot of the bikes are just more or less being stored on the bike racks and, and also in, in indoor bike rooms all over campus. And so, you know, they're not all necessarily actively being used, but I, I would guess there's probably a good 10 to 20% that still ride year-round, um, it, it's kind of hard to, to know without actually getting out there and doing physical counts, but it would take a lot of manpower to, to do, and we haven't really put the resources towards doing that. So last episode when we were talking, mm-hmm. um, we talked a lot about the new laws in place, um, and there were some that I didn't expect like uh not being able to ride on sidewalks legally it's roadways only for bikes in uh on campus um do do any of those laws change or is there some that are more prevalent i know you mentioned earlier that during a severe storm or something like that you would take uh sidewalks and Mm -hmm. uh, other pathways other than the roadway um yeah are there other other rules that apply during winter in terms of the the laws of the road from enforcement standpoint, I there, I mean, I, I think it comes down to 
the officer's discretion at that point. I mean, they, similar to, you know, the speed limits for cars, they're going to look at the conditions and say, yeah, the, it's posted speed limit of 55, but, you know, it's a whiteout or whatever. You shouldn't be driving 55. So, I mean, I think there's the officer's discretion and involved in those cases. And Yeah, one of the, um, not so much uh, campus ordinances, but Michigan uh, law, um, a cyclist is, is meant to ride as far to the right as practicable uh, if they're riding in the roadway. And there's a lot of discussion that goes on about w- what's practicable. And obviously in the wintertime, where you can and can't safely ride the bike is going to be a little bit different than where it might be in, in dry weather. Having said that, a lot of us who do ride uh, in the roadway will ride uh, in one of the tire tracks. Um, it, it's We find it's the safest position to be because it still allows room for cars to get around you, but it makes it clear that they need to change lanes in order to do that. Um, so that, that may be one way that, that things change a bit during the wintertime just because the snow and ice piled up in the next to the curb is going to make it different uh, what's practicable. Right, and, and we have a lot of bike lanes, and, and I get a lot of calls and emails saying, hey, they're not clearing the bike lanes. And and, and just on the point, this point, I know you, you didn't really ask about it, but it's, um, as Bill mentioned, you know, where the cars travel during a storm is where it stays clear. Um, and so the, the snow crews will be clear. They'll clear the roads, say, once in the morning and maybe once in the afternoon. But in between, you know, if it continues to snow, it, it, the bike lanes do look like they're not being maintained. And that's just simply because vehicles aren't clearing it with their tires. So it's it's actually a lot of times uh, safer and easier to ride out in the roadway, right, with the, where the car tires are, are moving. And, and uh, but just so people know, too, the maintenance crews do plow the bike lanes. And that's a, that's a top priority for them as well as the roadways it's just um, there aren't as many bikes out there riding in the bike lanes to to keep them as clear as the road the rest of the roadway another thing we talked about um last semester was the culture behind bikes at msu and biking um and that was a really interesting subject about how um there are different areas that have different bike cultures um and we kind of talked about what kind of positive bike culture we could promote at MSU. Um, you know, like you said, there was other places where when people would ride their bikes on the sidewalk that you would instantly get yelled at. Right. Whereas here at state, that's not a problem. I'm most, I would, I would, uh, jump to the conclusion that most students, you know, wouldn't ever say anything about it. Um, is there, is there a kind of culture that you think we should also be aiming for specific to winter or, what kind of culture do you think we're currently um, advertising here at state? Well, it's, I think it's something that just kind of happens without a whole lot of, um, so far we haven't done a whole lot of encouragement other than offering some, some workshops through MSU bikes. Um, you know, I, it's, that's a good question in terms of winter cycling culture. Uh, Bill, do you have any thoughts <laughs> on well, you know, when the issue of uh, uh, cyclists on sidewalks comes up, uh, whether it's in a state news article or, or somewhere else, and people uh, get asked how they feel about bikes on the on the sidewalk, uh, sometimes they come with some very strong opinions. They know people who have been hit, been knocked down. Mm-hmm. They've seen people riding dangerously. They're really annoyed by it. But I think you're right. It's I've never had or heard anyone say anything to a cyclist uh, who's riding on the sidewalk. 
sometimes uh, uh, avid cyclists will try to encourage other people to get off the, the sidewalk, but uh, uh, there isn't uh, that culture of an expectation that that's the wrong thing to do. And and there's been some some talk about how how do you change that culture, and that's that's a hard thing to do. Mm-hmm. Well, in some of our pathways, like say along the river trail, are, are marked and designed for both pedestrians and bicyclists. They're you know, very clearly marked that way. So it, it it's led to some confusion as to okay, well, some things are actually marked with it. Are are those okay to ride on? I mean, we're we're designed them for bicycling. So you know, unfortunately, the Ordinances haven't really kept up to date with all all of the improvements that we've done on campus yet, so they're they're needing to be updated. But um, certainly, those places that have bike symbols by the university, those are places that are okay to be riding. Just the sidewalks, which are those parallel in the roadway, are you know where um, we're t- referring to is that's really where f- people should be walking and the bike should be uh, as a motor vehicle t- traveling in the roadway. Um, so 